risen from the dead. Let's pray. Loving God, as we've heard the gospel story, as we've heard that earliest of Christian uh, writings from 1 Corinthians, the, the amazing truth uh, witnessed and attested to that Jesus is raised to life again. May that stir our hearts and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. The um, Gospel of John of Mark reads very much like a, a mystery story. Mark starts his Gospel by telling us that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then in his fast-paced telling of Jesus' ministry and life, from his baptism by John the Baptist to his crucifixion, you're invited to explore the question, who is Jesus? You're invited to look at it for yourself. We, along with the disciples and the crowd around Jesus, are amazed and astonished at what Jesus says and does. Who is this Jesus? What does it mean that he's the Messiah and the Son of God? And that comes to a crescendo and a climax at the crucifixion with the declaration of the Roman centurion. And if you were to think of the gospel in, in cinematic terms, like a movie, the centurion would be the one that turns and stares into the camera lens and locks eyes with us, what people call breaking the fourth wall. And he says, surely this was the Son of God. And we are to realize that if the centurion, this um, Gentile soldier, can come to that conclusion on simply the scene at the cross, then what's our conclusion as we have walked with Jesus through the gospel? In the burial of Jesus and the actions of the women who had followed him and witnessed his death might then feel like a postscript. A way to round out the story. Except the story does not end there. And we are presented with one more amazing witness to who Jesus is. The witness of an empty tomb. And the amazing news about what that means. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Three women who had been very close to Jesus had waited out the uneasy rest and inactivity of the Jewish Sabbath. And now at the first light of the first day of the week, they had set off to finish the task of preparing Jesus' body. Normally that, that would have been done before the burial, but we are told that as the day was ending and that the Sabbath was the next day, and remember the Jewish day starts at sunset, they'd only been able to do the bare minimum for him. And there's a sense that they are driven by both devotion, wanting to do the right thing for the one who had done so much for them. And in the story about the cross and the crucifixion, they are the faithful ones who look from afar, who go and see where they lay Jesus' body to, to, um, to rest. And also they're motivated by grief 
that they have lost the one who was so important to them, who they had placed all their hope in. And that sense of grief comes to the fore as it's only as they were coming with their spices to the tomb that they start to think, well, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Tombs were sealed with large stones to stop them being robbed or opened and reused illegally by other people. And there's no expectation for these women other than that Jesus is dead and they will find themselves in a hopeless situation of what to do with the stone. The stone which we're told was very large. And we were invited to share in the surprise of the women. They were not expecting it, what they would find, that the stone had been rolled away. And they go in and Jesus' body is not there. They encounter instead a young man dressed in white. Now for Mark's first century Jewish readers, this would have told them that it was an angel. But the angelic uh, appearance of this person is downplayed in Mark's gospel because he wants the emphasis to be on the amazing news that this person has. Um, but you can tell it's an angel because all the way through the Bible, the first thing that angels have to say to people is, don't be afraid. <laughs> you know? And he says, don't be afraid. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, is risen. He is not here. And the angel's message is very clear and something, um, that something amazing has happened. Now, who was crucified affirms the fact that Jesus had indeed died. He had not simply swooned on the cross, which was one of the early theories that people who wanted to disprove the resurrection used to use. That he'd fainted and then somehow had been able to revive himself and, and, and had himself pushed the stone away. But you know, the Roman authorities crucified people on a regular basis and knew when people were dead. In John's account of the crucifixion, where we know from Jesus' words to John and Mary that he was close to the cross, he says he tells of the guards going to break the legs of the people on the cross to hasten their demise. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. And just to make sure, they pierced his side with a spear and blood and water flowed out separately. The angel tells us that Jesus had been crucified, but then says something amazing. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the women are invited to see the place where they had laid him. And then they're commanded to go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. Well, Mark does not mention the earthquakes or the angelic angels rolling the stones away that Luke talks about because he wants us to focus on the facts. None of the Gospels, of course, tell us how the resurrection happened, which is that one thing that I guess our 21st century mad scientist minds would really love to know. But we're simply left to see the stone rolled away and the empty tomb as an act of God. An act we only understand because of a divine messenger. He tells us, this is God at work. Jesus is risen. An act that has formed the basis of Christian proclamation of the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ for two millennium. Jesus is risen. 
He's risen indeed. <laughs> and Mark finishes his account of that morning by telling us that the women fled the empty tomb and didn't tell anyone because they were afraid. Now there's real irony in this, as in Mark's gospel, people who Jesus healed are told not to tell others about what Jesus has done. Biblical scholars call it the messianic secret. They're, they're told, shh, don't tell anybody. But here, those who are told to tell, don't. They stay quiet. And you know, maybe we can understand their reluctance as witnesses. They have not yet met and seen and touched the risen Lord. And of course, in Jewish society, women's testimonies were not deemed reliable. They couldn't actually be witnesses in legal trials. And I guess as they ran away, they, they realised that just maybe they would not be believed. And perhaps their reluctance reflects a bit of our own. You see, the empty tomb is a God event, and it calls us to have faith. That Jesus' own words about himself, that he would die and be raised to life again, are true. To tell of the empty tomb is to acknowledge God's witness to Jesus as his son, is to acknowledge the truth of all that Jesus' life, death and resurrection has done for us. That God sent his son into this world to save us, to tell of his kingdom and demonstrate its reality and his healings. That, and then he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be reconciled to God and being raised to life again. That death and sin are defeated. That we too can know new and abundant life. You see, the empty tomb changes everything. It's not a blind faith either because that passage we read in 1 Corinthians talks about many people who witnessed Jesus raised to life again. There is a great list of witnesses, people who met Christ raised to life again, who actually willingly gave their lives because they knew that reality. And while Mark chooses to finish his account of the morning of the resurrection there... We know that the women did not stay quiet, that they did what they'd been told, and they went to the disciples and to Peter with the good news. And we know from other Gospels that Peter and John came to the tomb that day and found the amazing truth that it was empty. You know, and there's some debate over whether the second half of Mark 16, that's verses 9 to 20, are a later addition. But they tell us the same story, that he is risen from the dead. They tell us of Mary Magdalene meeting the risen Jesus Christ, an account which we have in John's Gospel, where she's only convinced that Jesus has been raised to life again when she hears his voice say, Mary. And she knows it's Jesus. Mark tells us that she was not believed at first. And Mark also mentions the two on the road, uh, on the road to Emmaus, that Luke also tells us about and gives a detailed account of their encounter with Jesus. And then he gives an account of Jesus meeting his disciples in Galilee and giving them the great commission. And of course, in the other passage that we had read out today from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a rundown of the many witnesses to Jesus' resurrection even himself as one untimely born. And of course, in typical Jewish legal fashion, 
He does not include the women. That's one of the things that is often said to say, you know, if, if you were going to make up this story, it wouldn't be the women who met Jesus first. But it's the, it's the reality that Jesus loved these women so much that they were the first to be told the good news. And you and I are also witnesses to the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. 2,000 years later, the reality of Jesus' death on the cross and the empty tomb, you know, is still impacting and changing lives. The risen Jesus still goes before us and meets with us by the Holy Spirit in a way that we can know that he is alive. The facts and the reality of the empty tomb are still here today and invite people to answer Mark's question, who is this Jesus? What does it mean that he's the Messiah the Son of God. And we too are commanded to witness to the empty tomb in our lives and in our words. Mark's account of the Great Commission, of course, holds some things that we don't find ourselves comfortable with. Uh, we can get our heads around the possibility of God's activity in casting out demons and placing hands on the sick and seeing them healed and maybe even uh, the, the speaking in strange languages, but we find it difficult to understand handling serpents and drinking deadly poison. Of course, images of the hillbilly snake-handling churches spring to mind. We don't want to be like that. But again, we see in this passage... The fact that in Jesus' resurrection, that the kingdom of God has come and the impact of evil against that message will not prevail, will be turned back and overcome because Jesus is alive. And here we are, two millennium later, at the very ends of the earth, gathered together on Easter Sunday to affirm together that he is not here in the tomb, that he is risen. And Mark's gospel invites us to explore and discover for ourselves the truth of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified and raised to life again, a question that we need to answer anew every day in how we live and what we say and what we declare. Lorne said it's the greatest discovery ever. It's the thing that has changed my life, and I know many of you are the same. And it's what we are called to proclaim and share with the world around us. He's not here in the tomb, dead. He is risen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you.